Friends, we're going to be beginning a new book together this morning. We're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians, a book near the end of the New Testament. So turn there to chapter 1, if you will, and we're going to be spending our time in chapter 1 together. I just want to begin by reading something to you that many of us received this week. It says, greetings from the United States. I hope and pray this finds you doing really well. My sabbatical time has gone really well and I've, been, I've praised God for the opportunity. We've been able to rest and spend time together. This has been a treasure for us. I benefited from sitting under the preach word as well as seeing family and friends. I praise God repeatedly that the gospel is not only being faithfully proclaimed, but also displayed in Ras al-Khaimah through the corporate witness of Rack Evangelical Church and in many different ways through our body. I rejoice to think of the gospel witness the Lord has established in our place in the world that continues to this day. This is a great encouragement to me. I very much miss you, Ras Al-Khaimah, and especially gathering with you for worship. Continue to pray for each of you. I'd love to know specific ways to pray for you. May the Lord continue the good work he has begun. May the Lord bless each of you richly in Christ. Josh. Friends, this was a wonderful and uh, I hope you'll agree well-timed letter that the, the members of this church received this week. They're from Josh, from our senior pastor. He planted this church with others nine and a half years ago and he wrote to us this week he's he's away he's on a sabbatical uh, taking some rest and he wrote to encourage us to remind us of what the Lord is doing here what the Lord has done here in this place in Ras Al-Khaimah I didn't know he was going to send this letter but I'm so glad that he did so what an encouragement friends as we look at our passage today, we're going to be looking at the first letter that uh, the Apostle Paul sent in the New Testament. Paul too is sending a letter here to a church that he helped plant, a church that he also cares about, a church that he too wants to encourage. Church that is full of people like this one that have been chosen by God to be his people, called to himself, that have understood and been saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. Friends, look there with me and uh, look at 1 Thessalonians. Let's read the first chapter, uh, the first part of this letter to the church in Thessalonica. Let me read it for us. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you. And peace. We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction 
with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Friends, as we begin a a few weeks in this letter, we see the apostle Paul, someone that used to hunt and, and kill Christians, and then that was saved and used by God, and someone that personally met Jesus, and really quite a resume he has, he's writing to a church that he had previously visited and helped. He's there writing to encourage the young Christians there. He spent about three weeks with them, and we know this from uh, Acts 17, where that, that visit's just given nine verses in the New Testament. We know that they had to leave quickly, but he wants to remind them in this letter to remind them of the gospel. He wants to encourage them to live for God, to pursue him. He wants them to have hope, to know that Christ will come again, that he is coming back and that they can look forward and take hope in that day. Paul is really writing this letter just to encourage the people in three major ways. And we'll be looking at those over the coming weeks, those three major themes. That they would be reminded of the gospel. That they would be encouraged to live for God. And to know that they can take hope that Christ will come again. Those are the three things we're going to be seeing over the next few weeks. And really in this first section of the letter, these opening uh, couple of paragraphs that we're going to look at today... Uh, He begins just because he's grateful for all that he sees in the lives of these young Christians. And his main message to them, and this is really going to guide and and shape our time together, is Christian, being chosen by God yesterday, should bring a confidence in Christ today and a hope in Christ for tomorrow. Christian, being chosen by God yesterday should bring a confidence in Christ today and a hope in Christ for tomorrow. So all of this is wrapped up in our text, and we're just going to be looking at uh, two points. The text really just divides really down the middle, verses 1 to 5 and verses 6 to 10. So verses 1 to 5, and our first point is confidence in Christ. And our second point, obedience to Christ Confidence in Christ in verses 1 to 5 and obedience to Christ, verses 6 to 10. Look with me at those first five verses. Really, the beginning of the letter seems, I think, straightforward enough. It's really there, but it's, it's very short, but it's packed full of great truth. It's there for our attention, for believers receiving this letter. First of all, we see kind of not unexpectedly who this letter is from. It's a little bit like starting a phone call with, hey, it's Doug. Obviously, you can start 
a phone call with your own name. Don't use my name. But you get my point. Paul's just saying, hey, it's Paul and Timothy and Sylvanus. So straight away, we know who is sending the letter. We know from the, the rest of the letter that really the main author is Paul. But amazingly, he doesn't uh, call himself, he doesn't give himself his full title, which people would have used, the Apostle Paul, that carries with it so much weight and authority. He doesn't mention his status here. He's just humbly positioning himself with other brothers, just as another follower of Christ, along with these workers, Sylvanus and Timothy, writing to them, caring for them. And where's he writing to? He's writing to people in this place called Thessalonica. It's a strategic town, and Paul has been there before. It's really uh, in modern-day Greece, and we know that it was a, a busy town of about 25 different religions, many gods being worshipped, a buzzing port town, a thriving economy, a place with lots and lots of freedoms to do what you want, be who you want to be, worship who you want to worship. It was under Roman rule, but clearly people could just visit and enjoy all that it had to offer by the sea. It was an important and ancient city, here clearly influenced by those around it, as we'll see. If people came to, to faith here, if the gospel went forward in Thessalonica, then Surely people would leave and take the gospel out into other surrounding towns and villages. It's a strategic and important place. And immediately we just see a couple of things in verse 1, just from the names and introductions, the names to begin with. In Acts 17 we see that it's Paul and Silas that are here. Whereas this letter is written from Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. And Sylvanus is actually just the, the Roman way of writing Silas. It's uh, here so that the people there influenced by uh, the Latin would know uh, who this letter is from. This is just written in their language uh, so that they'd understand and remember the brother that had already been with them. And no doubt some of you have had to do the same thing when you arrived in the UAE. Slightly change maybe the pronunciation of your name or maybe even choose a name that's just easier to say. It's the same with these guys. The they're writing. They know the people. They care about these brothers and sisters. And so they're writing together. This isn't just Paul's letter. This is not on his own. These brothers are deliberately writing as a united team. And it's the same with what they're about to say. This is important to remember as we work through the book, the unity of these authors. Everything in this letter or anywhere else in the Bible, is, it's there for a purpose. For you and me as the, the readers, it's there to, to tell us something. When something seems straightforward, it's all, especially here, just packed, just dripping with extra information for us, extra instruction for us. So here we have the authors. And what about the recipients? Well, each of Paul's letters, maybe uh, you're new to the Bible, lots of these letters are given the names of the ones receiving the letter. This, is the, this book that we're looking at is the first letter to the Thessalonians. This is often just called First Thessalonians. But really, it's just the title of the place that's receiving this letter. We see that here, it's not just 
This isn't just being sent to lots of people in Thessalonica or just a group of people or some random or just even all the believers in Thessalonica. It's being written to the church of the Thessalonians. Throughout the New Testament, we see different ways the Christians are to live and to worship God. And here, with the use of the word assembly or gathering, we see that they're already an established church in this city. That's what that word uh, church means in the Greek. It means assembly. It means gathering. So here at Rack, we think the same thing. We uh, think that we should gather together as a group of covenanted members of a church. That's why we run membership classes. That's why we have church membership. We know the New Testament says that we need to understand who is in and who's outside of our fellowship here. We do that so we can care well for one another. We do that so we can uh, look after and point each other to Christ. And we do that so that the gospel is protected. We need to know it's has to be clear who is and isn't a Christian. Friends, it's only a Christian that can be a member of a local church. Surely, of course, we hope you know that anyone can attend church. Everyone is welcome to all of our public gatherings this morning, this evening. But only a Christian can join a local church. So throughout the New Testament, we're given a picture of a people that know each other, in a particular place, in a particular time, that gather together. They assemble, they preach the gospel to one another, and they uh, do two things. They baptize and they celebrate the Lord's Supper. In many ways, this is very simple. This hopefully isn't complicated. And hopefully that's what you see here week in and week out as we do life together uh, here in Ras al Who is it that builds the church? Who is it that we here and and those in Thessalonica are going to be relying on? Paul agrees, and, and I think here he makes that so clear in our text. It's not Josh, or it's not John, it's not Paul, or it's not Timothy. It's God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 5 tells us that it's also the Holy Spirit. Parents, this is our trinitarian god father son and holy spirit that chooses people takes the punishment they deserve that gives them the gift of faith growing them in holiness and then gathers them together here in a local church hence to be saved you have to believe in the father son and holy spirit this is our god you cannot take one away you cannot deny Jesus we cannot deny the Holy Spirit and be a Christian friends this is who our God is and it's he that grants us peace and grace as we need it and it's he that gathers and saves his people for his glory as as we read through this book I hope you see that what Paul is saying to the church and that you understand that All that God has done for the church there, he has done for us. That the church do there, we should be doing the same here. It's the same with Paul. We've had the the welcome comments 
for the letter. And now Paul begins his message to the church. Look there at verses 2 to 5 with me. We read how these men, they give thanks to God for them and they're praying for them. Obviously, I hope you understand there's some hyperbole there, meaning that uh, we're not uh, taking this statement completely literally. But they are praying for them always and constantly. It's how we say to some of our friends, you're always on my mind. does not mean that you don't think about anything else. It just means, and I think that's what we read here, the emphasis is that they're doing these things a lot. They're doing these things a lot. I think this begs really a very obvious question for here, uh, here for us as a church, uh, but also uh, as church members, that we're to be a people that do what Paul is saying here. Really, just three things I think Paul is saying very simply, that we're meant to uh, firstly be spotting uh, encouragement in others. We're to be telling them these encouraging things. And thirdly, we're to be praying for people. So those again, we're meant to be looking for encouragement in the lives of others. And not just spotting it. Secondly, we're meant to be telling people. You should be speaking to people and encouraging them, saying, look, I see this in your life. I see what God has done. And then thirdly, we're to be praying for each other, praying for people. We put it like that. I don't think it sounds too difficult, hopefully, but how often are we doing these things? How often do you forget, like I do, to do each of these simple tasks to encourage one another and lift each other up in prayer? I think crucially, it really means we, we need to know each other. We need to be in each other's lives. Now, of course, we all uh, have different capacities. As I get to know you more, as we uh, do life together, you see that some have a higher capacity than others. And that's okay. God has made each of us differently. But we should be in each other's lives, living closely enough with some, just some of the people here, uh, that you're able then to hopefully observe uh, the good in others, what the Lord is doing through them and in them. I think we crucially have to train ourselves to see that and not just be a people that complain. Again, I'm speaking uh, to myself here. Honestly, I think this is something I really uh, struggle with. I'm, I think I'm really good at giving critique. But I'm not always the best at giving an encouraging word. And this can happen in my uh, marriage. This can happen in parenting. It can happen at work, as Emmanuel is finding out regularly. Yeah, it can happen in all areas of our life. I think it's hard for Laura, sometimes I'm particularly good at, I mean, she can be doing something all day, getting a task finished, and I have a, seem to have mastered the art of walking through the door and spotting the one thing that hasn't been done. And what a discouragement that is. Friends, how about you? That is not easy. Please be praying for me. Pray for my wife and my family. And pray for Emmanuel as well as he works alongside me every day. Friends, this is something we need to get better at. Spotting what the Lord is doing in each other's lives and telling each other. And praying for each other. Not just looking 
and critiquing. I wonder if you do the same. Do you do this with your housemates? Those that the Lord has put in your life for a particular season. Do you do this with your husband or your wife? Are you really very good at pointing out the way that someone else has messed up? Never commenting. Never encouraging them and the growth or the change you see in them. But I, please, we have to be on the lookout for this. We have to train our eyes and our hearts. These are the kind of things we have to go hunting for in each other's lives. And they're not just spotting them, but saying them. John, one of our elders, is particularly good at that. As I've got to know other brothers in the church, so is a good friend, Blessing, who's recently joined. Or in conversations. I'm regularly encouraged by the way Alana does exactly the same thing. These are great examples in our congregation. You have many that you know yourselves. Friends, what a joy it is to be around and be with brothers and sisters who say what they see. Encourage you. Be on the lookout for this. My friend Omar is particularly good at this in the, the small things and in the big things. The public things and the private things, whether I'm having a coffee with him one-on-one or uh, if we've been out for dinner with uh, our wives, he's particularly good at saying what he sees. I think that's really exactly what Paul is doing here. Friends, say what you see. Say what you see the Lord is doing in and through others. And what does Paul say? He's mentioning them, mentioning them in his prayers. It's one thing to, to tell someone the good things you notice, but we know and we hear time and time again from Paul. He's lifting them up in prayer. We know these are not just empty words. What a, a difference it is to be with someone when they say, yeah, I'll be, I'll be praying about that. What a difference it is when someone says, hey, let's stop now and pray about that. Both are right. Both are completely necessary sometimes. But make sure you really are praying for those things. When you say you will, make sure you're praying for that person. Got a couple of good friends. One particularly springs to mind. He keeps a spreadsheet of every prayer request someone has ever given him. It sounds crazy, but it is the most encouraging thing I've ever seen. Because he also has a column for how the Lord answered that. The Lord always answers our prayers. He's got records, pages and pages of these testimonies of seeing how the Lord has clearly answered prayer. Friends, if you're a member here, then this is a major reason why we also produce something like the membership directory. And we have to take awkward photos, as I I will do this week, in membership interviews. It is so to help you in this area, to encourage you to be praying for our members It's such a great tool that we put in your hands. It's so encouraging when I see it fall out of someone's Bible or it's hanging out of someone's jacket pocket or it's in the middle of their car and I can clearly tell they've been using it or if I go to someone's house and it's on their their sideboard or the, the little table next to their armchair, they can tell that people have been praying for one another. Or if now and again you get a message to say, we've been praying for you this morning or this evening. Friends, use the membership directory, use the things uh, and commit, as you have done in our membership covenant, commit to pray for one another. Friends, praying should be our first priority. 
and not our last resort. If you want fuel for the fire of prayer, then I think you're going to need to chat to other members. You need to be in each other's lives to make use of the things that are available, like the directory, like I've just said, or maybe even coming back tonight. What an amazing opportunity to hear the, the highs and the lows, the, the roller coaster of life here in Ras Al-Khaima. The good and the bad, the, the ways people are struggling, and the great encouragements of what the Lord is doing in people's lives here. Come back, five o'clock, all are welcome. Come and uh, pray with us. Come and share your life with us. Be with us as we bring those things before the throne of the living God. As we sing praises to him and, and again, we sit under his word. What a great joy those times are to me. Friends, if you're a visitor, if you're new, you're so welcome to join us. Get to know us. Pray with us. Look there at verse 3. I think we begin to see all that Paul and the others have been praising God for in Thessalonica. Look at this wonderful list of evidences in these believers' lives. Now this was a church. This is a, a church in a hard place. We know from Acts 17, there had been persecution. An angry mob had thrown Jason and others before the authorities. And it was bad enough for Paul and Silas to have to leave immediately. It's been trouble as those Christians were obeying Christ in a hostile area. And so Paul is writing, looking at their lives, looking at what their faith looked like in the day-to-day and how even from afar this was such an encouragement to Paul and as we'll see to other believers in the, in the region as well. Yet again, I think this kind of life, what is held up here is, should be the desire of every Christian. We're being given here just a, a wonderful example. Listen to verse 3. Your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see this kind of grouping several times with Paul. You've got Romans 5, 1 Corinthians 13, Galatians 5, Ephesians 4. After Timothy's report from Thessalonica, the same thing can be said here. Praise God. After battles and arguments and persecution and being new Christians, baby believers, the church here is growing. Praise God in their faith. And from their faith, flow these other things that are typical and should be typical of every Christian. The object of these things and the source of them is God. Friends, these are not just things that we can conjure up on our own and uh, in our own strength, but as Christians, we know that it's God who provides and sustains this good work that he has begun in you. Whatever you're going through, the the smooth or perhaps the rough right now, that know that both your circumstances and your ability to deal with these things, they're all from God. It's He that provides for you, gives you the grace and peace that you need. And what we do have here in this middle section and then repeated at the end we'll look at is really the past, the present, 
and the future of the Christian life. Each Christian has been saved by faith. Make make no mistake here, friends. Paul is not saying that our faith is brought about by works, but that from the gift of faith that God gives us, from that starting point of the grace of God, then works out and an active obedience of God flows from that. We don't contribute anything to our own salvation. I hope you know this. There's nothing that you yourself bring to the table. It doesn't matter if someone is good. Being good does not matter in any way before God. You don't bring anything to the table. There's nothing that we can do or say or pay to enter the kingdom of God. It's all by the grace of God, made possible by the blood of Jesus Christ. Friends, this work of faith in living and acting on the word of God. That's what it is. It's living and acting on the word of God. It's living in obedience to him. Jesus was asked this same specific question in John 6. The crowd asked him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Friends, this work of God is believing in Jesus Christ. It is acting on the faith that the Holy Spirit has been given to us. It's the only thing that can save. Trust in Christ alone. As your Christian life starts with faith, this is what happened in the past. That is the the beginning, the work of faith. And when we walk daily in the good of that, this then leads us to Paul's next point, the labor of love. This is the today of the Christian life. This is the living and obedience to God in our everyday life and the obedience to God's word. For Peter, that was stepping out on the waves. For the invalid, it was that he had to pick up his bed and walk. For you, it might be to carry on at the the job that you don't particularly enjoy. Or it might be to celebrate at that bridal shower that you don't really want to go to. Or it might be celebrating another baby shower that brings pain. Or it might just be getting dressed tomorrow morning when actually you feel so sad and so depressed that you just want to stay in bed. For others, maybe you're attracted to someone even from the same sex, and you know and trust what God has said about fighting temptation. Friends, I don't know or understand all that God has called you to work through, but this labor of love, it's in the big and the small, it's The everyday obedience to God's word when all around us, everything in the world would declare that you should do you. That you should do as you please. Friends, it's this utterly different love for God that is demonstrated. Shows our faithfulness to him and it's so crucial. To love Christ first means that nothing else compares to him. I don't know about you, but it's 
so tempting to add to God's word, to try to mix his word with this world. Friends, that is a utterly deadly and dangerous cocktail. A cocktail I beg you to avoid. Cannot mix this world and God's word. So we see a a work of faith in the past and a labor of love today and then a steadfast hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, if you're a Christian, then this is your tomorrow. But what of this steadfast love? Is it real? Friends, you can be certain of two things, that Christ's work is finished and complete on the cross, that he has taken the punishment that each person deserves. And then he died so that many could be saved through faith in his death and resurrection. Friends, you can be also completely sure that he is coming back to finalize the reality, to bring to fruition his kingdom and this life of the Christian with him for the rest of eternity. Friends, his death is sure. And friends, his return is certain. We're just living right now in in the breath, in the, the quiet pause between those two things in the space of eternity. Friends, these two things are completely certain. They are definite and they're completely linked all that God has done through history, all of that centers on the Christ, uh, on the cross with Christ. Friends, what Christ has done and what he will do, that should be the ballast. That should be the certain and, and sure hope that sits in the middle of your life, no matter what else is happening. I don't know if you know about ships, but ballast is what they put in the middle, right at the bottom of the ship. That when it gets hit by a wave, which ships certainly always do, it's a certain thing. No matter what happens to that ship, it gets hit by the wave and it rocks. Goes completely over, one side or the other, getting tossed and turned and thrown about. And that ballast sits in the middle of the ship, right at the bottom. So no matter how hard the wave, the ship rolls back and recovers and maintains its course. Friends, there will be trials in your life. There will be hardships. We have no promise of health or wealth in this world. Ignore any liar that tells you that if you follow Christ, your life will be easy or your pockets will be full. This is completely not certain or true. The Bible, as God's word, makes no promise of this. Ultimately, all of this obedience and trust in God results, and we see here, in ongoing perseverance of these faithful brothers and sisters there in in Thessalonica. To Paul, and as we'll see, the watching world see what's happening. And verse 4 there begins with an important word. It's the word for. What is about to follow is able to happen because of what has just come. So Paul is saying we can praise God for all 
that we see. And for all of you, because, verse 4, because they are brothers loved by God that he has chosen. And that they heard and responded to the true gospel. This is what we see in verses 4 and 5. He can trust that they are Christians, that they can have confidence in this fact from Paul. Because after all that he has seen and heard, he is sure that they have been chosen by God. We often use the word elect here. It just means chosen. But throughout the Bible, we see that God is in charge. You'll see we often use the word sovereign to declare that. This means that God is king. God is in charge. And here in 1 Thessalonians or in Ephesians 1, it says, As he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Ephesians 1 carries on. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Or Romans 1. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Or Romans 8. It is God who justifies. Friends, we see time and time again, it is God choosing to save some. That he knows who he is calling. And for Paul in this letter, it's not, it's not even an argument. He doesn't even question it. This is the doctrine of election. A key biblical doctrine that we believe and hold on to as believers at this church. And friends, if you're a Christian, it should be a great encouragement to you. You've been chosen by God. Not because of anything you've done. Simply because of his grace. Friends, this should drive our evangelism as we know and we trust that there are others in this city that God has called to himself. And amazingly, God has given us the job of sharing his gospel with those around us. And that we know and trust that those who know him will hear his voice and will trust him and respond. So this is what's happened Here in Thessalonica, we see Paul say that the gospel came to them not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. This gospel, as we've heard, is that God created a perfect world, that man rebelled against God and rejected him. And it was all then that sin entered the world. Because of Adam, the first man, all people, that's me and you, we've all been born in sin, all been born in rebellion to God. But God, in his grace and mercy, has made a way for you to be made right with him, restored to relationship with him, and that is through him sending his only son, Jesus Christ, to take the punishment that you deserve, that I deserve. Jesus lived a perfect life and he died on the cross and he rose again beating sin and death so that we can have a relationship with God. We can be restored to him. And friends, it's clear that each person will have to decide. Each person will make a choice to continue in their rebellion or to follow Christ. It's this gospel that Paul and others and now 
asked this morning, deliver. As we see, there's the Holy Spirit that applies this to believers' lives. Paul's just reminding the believers here of that. This was a young church with young believers. I want you to remind you, if this is you today, maybe you're a young believer here this morning, that you're not alone. You're not even unusual if perhaps you've ever worried, even for a second, that you might not be a Christian. This is a totally normal thought for Christians to have at certain times. Here, God wants us, desperately wants us to have full assurance of this, to know deep in our hearts what he has done. We know that this is sometimes hard. It's hard to remember. It's hard to see. Here, God uses his word to remind us, like we've said about saying what you see in the lives of others, he also has put us in a body here to encourage one another. He sometimes often uses others so we can see, they can sometimes see clearer what God has done in our hearts. I want you to be encouraged. God saves people through the hearing of the gospel and the Holy Spirit transforming hearts, making them eager to follow and obey God. This mysterious work, truly it happens in an instant. Immediately. Sometimes it takes a little while for us to spot the change or see the growth. But friends, I hope this first point reminds you that you can have confidence in Christ. Look with me at our far shorter, and I think simpler, second point. Verses 6 to 10. This is obedience to Christ. Obedience to Christ. So in these, in these last verses, we're going to see a reiteration of their response to God and their changed lives and the impact that this has had on them. And straight away in verse 6, we see that Paul is reminding them, using one of his favorite words, imitate. You are imitators of other Christians. Yes, but you're imitators of the Lord. It's he that has not only set the best example in suffering and affliction and all that this life throws at us, but he, Jesus Christ, friends, is our perfect savior. He shows us how to live in obedience and then helps us to do it. Don't miss that phrase at the end of verse six. It says, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Friends, to experience pain and suffering and affliction in this life like Paul and others did. And especially, and we must not forget this as Jesus did, and to still have joy. Friends, to still have joy. This is a great gift of God and truly, I think, is unique of Christians. This is a shocking thing for the world to witness and the world doesn't really know how to respond or even deal with it other than to say, how or why? How? Whether it's the Christians in Rome that were being chased by lions or it's others being chased out of town like we saw with these guys or some even losing their lives, the Christian has always stood strong in the face of these things for this it's what Christ did. 
It's he that brings joy and hope throughout. This may be the case for some of you, either right now or even in the future. I don't know, maybe even some here will lose their lives for their faith in Jesus Christ. The effect will be the same. Look there at verses 7 and 8. Due to their faith in God, the lives they've lived and importantly endured, all the believers in the region, the whole region, have heard about what happened and been encouraged. Those doing the imitating are now the ones being imitated. The way they have trusted God through their suffering and been obedient to his word and shared the gospel with others. Friends, all of this has been heard all across the country. But it's been especially seen by God and it brings him glory. Let me ask you a hard question this morning. Is your life worth imitating? Is your life worth imitating do you does your life bring glory to god and encourage other believers it's a hard thing to think about friends only you know the answer think about that this afternoon and this evening or this week as you go back to your workplace or this week as you're dealing with your children or this week as you return home to your spouse Is your life worth imitating? Now verse 9 and 10 conclude this final section. Again, we see a major theme from Paul entering the chat finally. See a big echo of the three stages we saw earlier. In verse 9, we see the work of faith being commended here. As they've turned from their idols. This labor of love in how they serve the true and living God and their steadfastness of hope as verse 10 says they wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come and we know there were other religions in this city and like people here in this country this city even that follow other gods we know that to turn to Christ is a cost. Turning from false idols and false gods to worship the true and living God, there is a cost. But friends, there is only one way to salvation through one sacrifice of the one true Savior, Jesus Christ. The Thessalonians in their young faith Read them. They were worried about the return of Jesus. And commentators point out that maybe they were worrying about those that had already died. If they'd missed out somehow on the return of Christ. Paul makes it so clear for us. And I hope you see this and hear this. He makes no comment on the time or the date or the location of Christ's return. Friends, no one knows this apart from God. Christian, I hope you're encouraged this morning that you can be sure that he is coming and he has delivered us from the wrath of God. 
The eternal, just, right, and perfect judgment of God that all people will experience. We're going to come back to look at this theme. It comes up six more times in this letter. This morning, if you know God, if you follow Jesus, take comfort. Live your life remembering what He has done yesterday, today, and forever. Friends, know what your tomorrow brings because it is centered on the certain coming of Christ and that you will spend eternity with him. Friends, God keeps his promises. He has chosen you and he will come again. If you're here and you don't know God, then you are worshiping someone other than Jesus. This morning, God has brought you here in his sovereignty, in his kindness, for you to be here today, for you to hear the good news that Jesus offers to you, this free gift of grace. I urge you, turn to him, repent of your sin, call out to him. Praise God for the letter we received this week from Josh. Let me just conclude by rereading A great reminder from Josh for us all. He says, I praise God repeatedly that the gospel is not only being faithfully proclaimed, but also displayed in Ras al-Khaimah through the corporate witness of Rag Evangelical Church and in many different ways through our body. I rejoice to think of the gospel witness the Lord has established in our place in the world that continues to this day. Friends, it is a great joy to help pastor this church to hear the many stories of grace and faith here among you. Let's not forget those. Let's not forget all that God has done. Share your testimony. Share the good news of Jesus Christ with someone this week. Give him the glory. Praise his holy name.